Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. It's the show featuring Go-Go the Chimp. Nothing like a chimp to liven up the radio show. <laughs> Easy there. Go-Go, Go-Go. No, Go-Go, no! Folks, welcome to the program. I almost said welcome to the problem. And yet, and yet, John Zmirak, how are you? I'm good. I like to think I'm part of the problem. I'd like to think we're all part of the problem. Listen, um, you and I, uh, we talk at least once a week on this program. And um, people always, when I speak uh, around the country, people invariably comment on you in a positive way. Um, And then they kind of wink at me. And I don't know, is that an (laughs) eye thing that they all have in common? What is going on? No, it is true. People comment and it gives me joy uh, to think that so many people are enjoying you as I enjoy speaking to you. Um, I'll be in Chicago. What? Tonight, actually. Tomorrow I'm speaking at an event in Chicago. Folks, if you want to know where I will be next week, I'm in Dallas. Uh, after that, I'm in Washington, D.C. A lot of traveling. Uh, but go to ericmetaxas.com. Sign up for the newsletter or else. Or else. You know what I mean by that? I think you do. EricMetaxas.com. John Zmirak, let's talk about the film that you watched. I haven't yet had a chance to watch it. It's called After Death. Um, it, I believe it's being distributed by Angel Studios. Um, and if you want to see it, you can go to angel.com slash Eric. That's a link that they've given me. Angel.com slash Eric. But I am absolutely fascinated with the subject of, you know, what do they call them? NDEs, near-death experiences, all that kind of stuff. So you saw the film? Yeah, and you don't mean near-death experience in the sense of those of us who grew up in the 80s and took the subway at night. These are That's more- a different kind of near-death experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is about people who cross the line, you know. Their bodies and their brains stop working. Um, in most cases, it was. Thank a you medical- for not mentioning the president's name because we don't want to be political on this program. Yeah, no, I think I don't think Joe Biden was ever alive. So <laughs> I, th- I think it's a red herring so, to even invoke the, the but Biden. This is, but this is I'm always fascinated by this, by this, generally speaking, by the subject of people who die, go to the other side, because there's so much evidence of it. That when people are pure materialists or atheists or whatever, that they don't, I just think, well, what do you make of all of this evidence? Don't you have anything to say? Do you just look away? This film to me is uh, kind of an example of that. People have gone to the trouble to to interview people, credible people that I've spoken to on this program. But but in any event, tell us about Here the, the film. two important after death. The, Go ahead. It's called After Death, and I watched it. And a few things. First of all. It's not like those goofy late night specials, like most unexplained mysteries. Um, it's very sober and it's very pl- very matter of fact and straight ahead. It interviews scientists, secular scientists who've, who've spent decades trying to understand the, what it is that these people experience in the moments after they, they undergo what is called brain death. Right. And when we think about it, brain death is enough for the doctors to start cutting you open and taking out your organs. That 
is bringing death. That's how our hospitals treat it. Now, I know some pro-lifers dispute the concept of bringing death. They say you should simply wait for the heart to stop. The problem is if you wait for the heart to stop, none of the organs are usable. So the pressure for organ transplants has led to the development of the idea of brain death. Brain death is where it seems like there's no real autonomic activity in your brain. And therefore, we say you're dead. And therefore, we can take your kidney and your liver and your heart. Well, these people... Maybe they weren't organ donors. You know, if you if you want to make sure you don't have an NDE, be, be an organ donor because they will not wait to revive you. So these people got revived through medical miracles, and they come back with reports of what it's like once they're dead. Now, your average atheist, secular scientist, Darwinist will say, well, that's just an explosion of unusual brain activity that that seems to sometimes accompany biological death. The problem is it's not. Now, none of that is true. The One of these people was hooked up to an EEG machine that monitored her brain activity, and her brain activity was virtually at a standstill. And yet she reports a very complex and elaborate experience she went through, which didn't show up in brainwaves. Now, suppose, according to the materialist theory, everything that happens in your mind is the result of brainwaves. What more and more scientists are starting to realize is that maybe what happens in your mind causes the brainwaves. In other words, it's the other way around. Brainwaves might be the shadow that our, the activity of our mind and soul casts in the material world. And after death, you're not casting the shadow anymore, but it's still happening. These, again, people with brains that are almost like a burned out light bulb. And yet they come back and they talk about all the things they went through. And these are not just memories. They report that they were watching what was going on in the room and they tell you what happened, what instruments were on, what trays, who was standing where, things they could not possibly have seen because their eyes were shut, their brain was dead, their ears were stopped up, and their brain was flat. But somehow they knew which instruments were working. Sometimes they knew what was going on in neighboring rooms because their spirit was sort of floating around. Now, this all sounds very strange and spooky, and and secular scientists want to dismiss it, and they have a reason for wanting to dismiss it because they're sleeping with their interns. And they don't want adultery to be wrong. So, therefore, they want to be atheists. You earlier were saying, people, you know, all this evidence for the, the immortality of the soul, yet why do we have scientists denying it? I think usually there's a personal motive. They don't want there to be a god because they're cheating on their taxes or they're cheating on their wife or something. They they don't over want to face over, the I mean, that's clearly the animus that they bring uh, to this evidence, they 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 simply don't want to accept it. What you just said, I mean, two things. First of all, what does a strict materialist say to the idea that these people come back with these baroque, fascinating stories, and yet the monitor says there was no brainwave activity? Yeah, that does not compute, folks. That makes smoke come out of your ears if you're a secular materialist. I guess they just bat that away. The second thing you just said, and I know I'm just repeating for clarity, but the idea that they come back and tell, you know, conversations the doctors had, things the doctors did, uh, instruments the doctors used, 
How do you see this when you are lying flat, uh, dead on a on a table? How do you how do you how does that happen? Somebody needs to explain this. And I think the most obvious explanation is that we are spirits and that our spirits live on beyond our bodies. I mean, that's the most obvious explanation. You don't have to accept it, but let's at least put it on the table uh, to discuss. So what I find, another thing I find interesting about the movie After Death that's available, that Angel Studios is has in theaters, um, it's not, these aren't all super pleasant experiences. For one thing, apparently almost a third of those who go through near-death experiences, they don't visit heaven. They don't meet this glowing, warm presence of infinite acceptance and love or see Jesus recognizably. That happens to some of them. About a third of them dip into hell and are given a warning that that's where they're headed for unless they change. And they wake up and they are very, very, very relieved not to be forever in that place. And there was one of the people was a fallen away Christian, now then secular professor of philosophy, got tenure at age 28. Um, he visits hell. He feels himself shuffled down a hallway by dark figures accusing him of the sins of his past. Excuse me, John. Uh, we're going to go to a break here. Folks, this is fascinating. This is a new film, After Death. You can go to angel.com slash Eric. We'll be right back. Big John. Big John. Every morning at the mine, you can Welcome back. We're talking to John Zmirak. Yeah, you heard me. John Zmirak. He's alive. Alive, I tell you. And John, you're talking about a film called After Death which uh, Angel Studios is putting it out. Totally fascinating. You can go to angel.com slash Eric. Uh, I, um, I've, I've always been fascinated with this. And even before I had my born again experience in 1988, I remember I was trying to figure this out. Is there life after death? And I had read something like this and I thought, this is so compelling. I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, I've heard stories of people floating out of the hospital and, you know, that there, there was like a tennis shoe on a ledge outside or on the roof. There was something and that they saw it as they floated up. You know, what? how does somebody make that stuff up? Because then they go back and they say, oh, yeah, it was really there. I mean, you have to really be high, a hidebound materialist and just just irrationally hostile to evidence when you don't find that kind of thing compelling. Yeah, look. I don't consider life after death to be wishful thinking, because frankly, for me, the fear of hell is so lively that if you could prove to me there would be no life after death, it would be a relief. But I'm afraid that all the evidence points to the fact that there is life after death and we are judged. So given that bad news, I thought I would share it with your with your listeners. Yes, there is life after death. Yes, there is judgment. Uh, go see this movie and it will remind you of that fact. It might be something you can use to wake up your friends and family members who might dabble with new age reincarnation nonsense. No, there is death and there is judgment. And in this movie, about a third of people who dip into the afterlife, they see darkness and 
ice and flames and judgment and dark dark spirits hustling them towards judgment. Oh, wait, I got to finish this. So one of them has this experience, and as he's getting desperate, he remembers his childhood attachment to the person of Jesus, and he calls on Jesus, and suddenly Jesus shows up and whisks him out of there and takes him to a place of peace and refreshment and forgiveness, and then he wakes up. Now, when these people wake up, the ones who'd been in hell are very relieved, mostly, (laughs) that they're not there anymore. But the ones who'd been in heaven, what's interesting about after death is they're upset. They are disappointed. They, uh, a lot of them, they, they don't seem reconciled to the fact. They said, I felt much more alive in the moments my body was dead than I ever felt before or since. And coming back into this body is sort of sort of a drag because being with God, being with my family, that was wonderful. And this is kind of a cross to bear. But God sent me back for a reason. I don't know what it is. It's fascinating. You, you, you hear this over and over. I mean, I've heard this over and over and over and over. There's nothing new here, folks. It's just that a lot of people haven't been exposed to this. But I hear this over and over that when you go to heaven, when you go into the presence of God, it makes this world feel like death. It makes this world feel like what C.S. Lewis called the shadow lands, that, that heaven is more real and far more full of life than this world, which we think is life. Um, and, I, you know, John, what, what I find interesting about all this, this is like if you were in the 18th century um, trying to figure out what is the world made of? Are there atoms? Are there molecules? Are there elements? And you, it's an invisible realm. You cannot access it, but you can do experiments and you can make inferences ab- about th- this these experiments and about what you see and you begin to see patterns and you say, it seems like if I do this and this, this happens, or if I do this, that when we're talking to thousands of people about their experiences along these lines, you begin to develop certain patterns and you begin to see certain things. So in other words, there is a reality there. You, you see that there's a reality that maybe you can't see with your eyes, but you're a fool to dismiss it. Uh, Because these patterns come up over and over and you say, there's something here. All these people can't be making this up. There has to be some explanation. Right. There are are boundaries to what we can know, but there are bits of evidence that simply can't be explained away. There's evidence that there's some, some kind of human experience after the death of the apparent death of the brain. There's some sort of emotional, personal experience without brainwaves happening. That doesn't match the materialist theory that the brain is the only thing that's real and the mind is sort of a side effect. It seems like the the brain is the side effect of the mind. And that's well, a fascinating one, idea. One of the things that I find interesting about this also is that you will find religious people people who believe in God, who call themselves Christians, being disturbed by elements of this as well. In other words, many of them will say, well, no, 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 biblically, it's very clear, you, you know, you die once and then there's the judgment. So the idea that you could come back or get a second chance, whatever, that ruffles their feathers that that's possible because they have this idea that 
you know, it, 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 it's it's very, very clear that can't happen. You die and then that's it. And I get that. But I, my attitude is it's kind of like science, like whatever you find, you know, you can God is not thrown by the evidence. God is behind. There's a there's a larger reality which never contradicts the scripture. But people make it seem like, well, it contradicts my version of the scripture. Yeah, you have to be willing to follow the evidence wherever it leads. I didn't used to think there was any human habitation north of 96th Street in Manhattan. But I kept receiving reports that there were. <laughs> I wasn't going to go find out for myself, and I yeah. still haven't. Yeah. But I now am willing to credit the evidence that there is life north of 96th street i'm just yes it, you i guess when you were a kid it was dangerous up there but uh, it's a Super little different dangerous. it's cha- things have changed let me say that um th- what we're talking about again what what's interesting to me is that you have had christians through the centuries make the same mistake where something doesn't fit what they're so sure is clear um you had you know the aristotelians saying to Galileo, the scripture is clear. The Bible, the word of God is clear that the earth is the center of the universe. It's clear. They insisted on that. And the evidence that he was bringing uh, to say, not that the Bible was wrong, but that their interpretation of it might be wrong. They rejected that. And we see this today when you're talking about things like what we're talking about now, there are people that they have a very, very clear view of the way it has to be this way, this way, this way. And if it's not, it's of the devil. Um, I'm, I'm here to say that uh, I don't agree with those people. So, again, I think at, After Death is is a, a movie really worth seeing. And, you know, I'm so glad I saw it about a week after seeing Police State, Dinesh D'Souza's amazing, powerful new film about the end of freedom in America, because I needed the uplift, frankly. Have it with with Jeanette, with police state showing me that America, you know, was getting shoved, shoved, shoved to the brink of the abyss. It was nice to just think, well, you know, maybe there's a happy afterlife because I'm not I'm not that enthused about the way this one's going. At the Let moment. me ask you about something on which we might uh, disagree slightly, but the doctrine of purgatory. Is there anything in this film after death uh, that that would indicate that things are more complicated than I'm going to heaven or hell. Well, you might see the, some of these people's experiences as being akin to some purgation to some middle state, because they, they apparently they go to the brink of the afterlife. They, they see heaven or they see hell, but they come back to earth to continue to work out their journey. Um, that's an interesting point, but uh, I don't, none of the experiences that I've seen ex- express that talk, talk about purgatory per se. Um, as a Catholic, I believe in purgatory today is the feast of all souls, which is meant to benefit the souls in purgatory. And I will be attending church where there's a concert of the far a requiem. Always. You can bribe me with classical music. Uh, Catholic so I, doctrine says that only Catholics go to purgatory, by the way. Uh, that's right. Nobody else go, gets that. High. Catholics go straight to hell. Um, well, <laughs> no, it's, that's it's, not true. it's just no, but I'm just fascinated because the great divorce C.S. Lewis is the right. great divorce. It's Thank a you. wonderful book about this where 
you know, like the good thief on the cross, whom Jesus said, you will be with me today in paradise. Well, you know, he wasn't a very good thief. He wasn't that good a guy. Uh, he All he did was be sort of merciful towards Jesus on the cross, and yet Jesus offers him salvation. Is anything going to happen to that guy to get him ready to be in heaven with Ezekiel and Isaiah and all the saints? Is he going to change it all, or is he going to just go out there still smelling that way and, you know, being that way? We're, we will uh, we will answer that question in a confusing way when we return with John Zmirek. It's the Ark Metaxas Show. Talking to John Zmirak, Big Bad John. So, John, um, we're talking about the film After Death. And I, I want to say uh, the angel.com gave me a link, angel.com slash Eric. I guess that it would help this radio program if you go to angel.com slash Eric and buy your tickets there. But I want to say, we've said this in the past, when a film like this comes out, I just want to say to people, folks, please, whether you go to angel.com slash Eric or not, please see it, buy tickets for your friends, buy tickets for your neighbors. This is fascinating. People put a lot of work into this kind of thing. And this is the sort of thing, you know, they're not going to show this on PBS, uh, you know, until uh, we have reformation in America, we have change in America, you know, but I think not, somebody, not even then, Eric, not even after the resurrection of the dead and the creation of the New <laughs> Jerusalem, still you won't be able to get right. faith-friendly films on PBS because God won't change things fundamental nature. You won't make square well, circles. Listen, you won't make faith-friendly PBS. You're, you're, you're basically right, but PBS a couple of years ago aired the Michael Pack documentary about Clarence Thomas in his own words. It wow. was astonishing amazing we've talked about it on this program a bunch of times the fact that he got that on pbs so there is hope people ought to be praying along these lines because there's so many people out there they're never exposed to any of the kinds of things we talk about on this program like what we're talking about right now like the idea that there's tons of evidence for life after death there's tons of evidence for hell there's tons of evidence and you know john i'm glad i remembered this people often say Christians and non-Christians alike. Well, I I shouldn't I shouldn't believe in God out of fear of hell. That's like, you know, the wrong motivation. And my attitude is like, no, that's a perfectly good motivation because, you know, it, it may not be the only motivation. Uh, it may drive people away from God, but it will drive some people to God because it's true. It's like saying, don't play in traffic. You could get crippled for life. Be careful. This is real. And people say, well, don't scare them. You say, well, don't scare them. I think I'm doing them a favor if they're unaware of the fact that they could get hit by a car if they're not careful. It's simply I don't want to, discussing reality. I don't want to avoid eating out of fear of obesity. Well, well, you know what? That's a, that's a, that's a good idea. You know, you, I don't want to avoid drinking 
out of fear of going into an alcoholic coma. Well, you know what? If that's what it takes, if that's, uh, you, you and I lived through the seventies, I remember, you know, 12 year old kids in my, in my grammar school were already smoking way too much pot. The seventies were not a great time. Fear of overdose, fear of catastrophe is the beginning of wisdom, you know? I mean, well, look, but the point is that what could be more horrific? Let's just be blunt. What in the world or in the other world could be more horrific than being in hell? And I think, you know, it's been this drift over the decades where people say, well, it's kind of not cool to talk about that. And we don't want to, well, it's not cool to talk about that all the time. You can take anything to uh, to an extreme where you're not using it for God's purposes, but there's a reality here and we shouldn't shrink from the reality. This is a reality. It's clear in the scripture. Um, I think C.S. Lewis makes the most sense of it in the book, The Great Divorce. Yes. He shows, he shows people don't end up in hell because they had an impure thought at age 13 and then had a heart attack. And God said, ha ha, gotcha. I nailed you at your moment of weakness. Now you're damned for all eternity. That That's not how it works. That's people how the devil have, works. That's not how God works. Yeah, but people consistently make choices that mold themselves into the kind of creature that gravitates towards one eternal destination or the other. And I, I think The Great Divorce is maybe the perfect book to read on this subject. And it, it's interesting that it kind of bridges the Catholic Protestant divide on the question of purgatory. It, it's kind of very, it's, it's kind of very coy about it in a very. Well, look, Lewis is a genius. He's a genius. And what he does, let's, let's explain it. The great divorce. First of all, it's a very short book and it's um, I don't know. What would you call it? Is it an allegory? In other words, the, the idea is that he's, he's telling a story uh, and it's not clear that it's a biblical heaven or biblical hell or whatever, but it's, you get the idea from reading it. Uh, it's all these souls on this, you know, this bus ride. Um, but it is done with. Um, Let me give such- a quick plot. We'll do a quick plot summary. Basically it, the, the souls in hell are allowed to take a bus trip to heaven and if they can stay, if they want to, but most of them don't want to because the kind of person they became in their lives is more comfortable in a sense, in hell than in heaven. And the story illustrates the role of free will in accepting or rejecting salvation. Free will? Hey, wait a minute. Didn't Luther say there couldn't be free will? What did Erasmus of Rotterdam have to say on that subject? Uh, you, you're bringing back the fact that I wrote three academic papers on the Erasmus-Luther debate while an undergraduate, while we were both at Yale, with the disadvantage that Erasmus's response to Luther's response would not be translated from Latin for another 30 years. It has You're finally kidding. been translated, and I need to hunker down and read it and send a final revision to my professors at Yale if they're still with us. So many people uh, really have loved my Luther book, but some of them have gotten the wrong impression that I agree with Luther on everything. I have to say uh many of the things that Erasmus said and others said, I kind of would agree with them. It's it's kind of funny to me. Uh, we're going to a break. If you want to see the film after death, 
Um, the film is titled After Death. You can't really see it after you're dead. But while you're alive, if you want to see After Death, you can go to angel.com slash Eric, angel.com slash Eric. We'll be right back. I'm talking to John Zmirak. You're not. But here's the good news. You get to to listen to John Zmirak uh, and you have to listen to me, for example, right now. But I'll stop. John, what else? Well, Eric, I've got a piece upcoming at the stream called How Long Before the Left Wants to Euthanize Trans People. Now, what you're going to have to make this case fairly sure. quickly. How, how do you get there that the left okay. might want to euthanize trans people? Well, the left is already euthanizing victims of terrorism. In Belgium, at least one uh, Belgian woman who was a victim of Islamic terrorism, she she witnessed an airport bombing and was traumatized by it. They can't seem to help her psychologically, so they euthanized her. Euthanasia is the treatment of last resort in Belgium and in the Netherlands and now in Canada. Canada's parliament just rejected a bill that would have protected the clinically depressed from euthanasia. So they're going to euthanize people for being depressed in Canada because the liberal, secular, compassionate government of Canada has decided, well, you're not happy. We're not happy that you're not happy. Having suffering in life has no meaning. Life is simply a collection of happy moments and fun times. And if we can't guarantee you those, it's really expensive to keep trying to treat you so we can save money for our socialized medical system by euthanizing you. Excuse me, by sending you perhaps straight to hell where you will long for being depressed. Just to bring up the subject that they might be sending you straight to hell and if you're a logical person, don't need to be a person of faith, but you might want to think about that. You might want to think that maybe that's possible and maybe you want to think about that some more. But people don't think about that. People have bought into this secular uh, view, which may be false, folks. And you, you ought to really be thinking about it because On it's the kind hand, of serious, kind of permanent when they kill you. I think anyone who's sufficiently depressed to where they would tell the government to euthanize them, that person, by definition, is clinically incapable at that moment. We, the, the old standard for clinical insanity was, is a threat to himself or others. If you're a threat to yourself and you're on the brink of suicide because of mental illness, I don't know that God's going to hold you culpable for that. And the government should not take your consent seriously. If you if you're so clinically depressed that you want the government to put you to sleep, that right there is proof you're not in your right mind. You're not in a sane mind and body. You shouldn't be able to sell your house. You shouldn't be able to sign any contracts and you shouldn't be able to give the government permission to euthanize you like a shelter pet. But that is what Canada's liberal, secular wonderful, compassionate government is offering. The same government that claims to be, you know, so protective of indigenous rights and transgender rights. These people claim to be so compassionate, yet they're willing to kill the mentally ill because it saves them money. So in my column at stream.org, I asked the question, what's more expensive, 
a transgender patient who wants elaborate surgery and hormones, who wants to be a play in sports of the opposite sex. Maybe if he's a prisoner, he wants to be housed with the opposite sex. He's making all these demands on society and expensive medical treatments. How long will it be before the same government that wants to euthanize depressed people and abort babies with Down syndrome and euthanize the handicapped, how much longer can people with transgenderism and other complex problems count on the compassion of a government that has rejected God, rejected compassion, and accepted a cold-blooded, Nazi-style, utilitarian ethic of life? And then I tie it all in with Pope Francis. Are we coming up on a break, or do we have time? No, no, no. Please uh, continue with the depressing subject of Pope Francis, the atheist pope. Yes, the atheist pope. Yet I'm the one advocating the theory. No, Francis isn't secretly gay. No, he's not a dumb liberal. He's, you know, an IQ 95 Marxist activist who wormed his way into a position of power in the church, just as people like Bella Dodd warned us in the 50s, Thousands of young communists were told to join seminaries in order to promote communism from within the Catholic Church. Well, wouldn't you know, one of them finally became Pope, and that's Francis. Pope Francis created this thing he called a synod, and what it was was sort of like a a Marxist kind of committee that wasn't just bishops, it wasn't just laymen, it was sort of hand-picked members from each group that he selected and his team selected in order to try to jerry-rig results that they would change Catholic Church teaching on fundamental things like same-sex marriage. And they got to the point where they were going to approve blessings in church of same-sex couples, which is the psychological equivalent of gay marriage. No, technically it wouldn't be gay marriage, but there would be flowers People would be kissing and a priest would be blessing a relationship that's based on what the church calls a sin that cries out to heaven for vengeance. Uh, Pope Francis, actually, there was so much resistance among Catholics to this uh, gay pseudo marriage blessing that he backed off for a little while. And he's restarting these synods and having them in every parish in the world. And, you know, week after week. People are going to show up and talk about this. And, of course, the only people are going to keep showing up are paid people being paid by gay organizations and losers with no life. So the, the real faithful Catholics who are, I don't know, raising kids and paying taxes are, are not going to keep going to these struggle sessions. And it, it's just a way of producing the result he wants, which is a rubber stamp. Pope Francis is the chaplain of Caesar, Mammon, and Sodom. And he is trying to conform the church to the world. He's converting the church to the world instead of the world to the church. And so in my piece at stream.org, I argue that Pope Francis is helping people like Trudeau, Justin Trudeau and George Soros and Klaus Schwab. Uh, all these people are trying to create a post-Christian, post-human world that is run by a small cabal of globalist elites with utopian ideas who see the human species as a plague on the planet, who are more worried about the climate than they are about the human race, and who think that Christianity needs to be 
retrofitted to suit whatever the billionaires hey, want. Hey, hey, stop trying to cheer me up. We'll be right back. Cause lights the name And he sends him to the finest school Big bright shiny yellow sun Come and watch your children play Welcome back. We're talking to John Zamirak. It's his real name, Z-M-I-R-A-K. Nobody can explain it, including John Zamirak himself. John, uh, let's keep going. This is, uh, it's depressing. Come on, let's go. Uh, it's, I believe in the principle of Kraft durch Schadenfreude, strength through bitterness. The worse <laughs> things get, the better I feel. It's just how I'm made. I'm kind of like the dung beetle a metaphysical dung beetle. And you know what? I'm not going hungry nowadays. I can tell you that. So my piece is called How Long Before the Left Wants to Euthanize Trans People? I'm pointing out that the left wants to abort babies with Down syndrome. It wants to euthanize the clinically depressed, euthanize the handicapped. Planned Parenthood International played an active role in enforcing the one-child po- one policy in China, forcing abortions on millions of women. Uh, anybody who still thinks the left is wrapped up with compassion and justice, look at how they're reacting to the slaughter in Israel. Look at the excuses they're making for Hamas. On the other hand, look at the, uh, the glee they're taking in the imprisonment of peaceful January 6th protesters. Look at the way... Uh, proponents of the dead baby vaccine said they didn't want the unvaccinated to be admitted to emergency wards. We should be allowed to die on the street. When Herman Cain, that wonderful businessman who had run for president, when he caught COVID and died after attending a prayer rally with Donald Trump, people all over social media were gloating that, hey, oh, he went to a super spreader event and he got what he deserved. These same people who thought it was great for there to be George Floyd riots because the virus was so well engineered by the Chinese biolabs that didn't don't exist uh, that it recognized Antifa and BLM members and they were passed over like the angel of death. Anyway, in my piece at Stream.org, I talk about something funny, actually funny. Charlie Kirk's gave a talk at the University of Arizona for two hours. Okay, this is true, folks. This is true. Charlie Kirk goes to these universities and he's willing to talk to people who disagree with him and willing to reason with them and debate with them. And what happened? Well, the the fact of people disagreeing with them seems to cause mental breakdown in some of these snowflakes who've been getting A's on every paper they turn in since they were in kindergarten. So... The University of Arizona is offering mental health services, special counseling for people who are facing a breakdown because they encountered Charlie Kirk and he said things that they didn't agree with. And that has never happened to them before. John, John, you're not making this up. I mean, you're let's be clear. This sounds so insane. You're serious. This is real. Yep. The D, the campus health counseling and psych services can be reached by. And here's the number you can call if you're having an emotional crisis because you heard some ideas that are unfamiliar that you don't think you like. And you're now curled up in a fetal ball, rocking back and forth, 
repeating Kamala Harris's name, but Kamala Harris is not appearing to you. She's not comforting you. Oprah is not appearing to you. You are just in this dark place hearing these thoughts that don't conform with what you already believe. What do you do? That's not supposed to happen to you in college. College is not supposed to be about encountering strange ideas and, and unfriendly opinions. My God, that, that that's just not healthy. That's not fair. That's not right. So what I wonder is, snowflakes who are this fragile, will they ever be productive citizens? Will they ever be taxpayers? I mean, the first time they get reprimanded at work, are they going to go into a coma? Are they going to require counseling services if they get a bad performance review at work? So my fear is that the same uh, utilitarian leftists who want to abort unborn babies with Down syndrome, who want to euthanize yeah. the mentally ill, will end up euthanizing the snowflakes. Because okay, got to read the article. Got to read the article. Go to thestream.org. Got to read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Got to watch After Death. Go to angel.com slash Eric. John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.